gotcha. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Pretty good night, eh? Hey, David. I'm a happy guy tonight. You sound pretty happy, too. We needed that. We we needed that. Oilers fans have needed that for a year now. It's almost a year. We haven't had that hockey high, you know, and it just, it was if, you know, this this is with, we're, we're talking about Edmonton's 4-3 win here over the Winnipeg Jets. Dry Settle scores in the last second of the game to seal the win. They came back twice in the game to win. It looked like they were going to lose twice. First in the first period when they went down two only to have the goal called back. And then in the third when they went down a, a goal with a few minutes left, he gave away the lead. But they came back, Bruce, again and again in the game. And they were clearly the better team. But most of all, I just feel like... Um, we haven't seen the Oilers come back and play well and be that team in a long time, and, and that's what they were tonight. That A team that that beat every other Canadian division team in terms of uh, winning percentage last year and yeah. looks like an improved team over last year. And finally, you know, in the last three games, I think they're showing it. They're really showing it. And it would have been really tough to talk about tonight's game if they had lost because they were the better team again, just like they were in Toronto the other night. To, a, to kind of a, they had 16 great eight chances to 11 for the Jets. They were the better team, and and it would have been. I was just dreading actually having to talk about like, because because I didn't think they were that bad, and yet they could have easily lost. So. Yeah, well, they could have. It wouldn't have been an easy loss. They lost that game, man. Leading two one with six minutes left, and it seemed like it was under control. And then, <sighs> bam, bam, and all of a sudden they're facing another regulation loss, which really would have been a major kick in the junk after what happened last game. And again, their, power, their penalty kill in a tie game in the third period couldn't, <clears throat> couldn't get the job done. Uh, but um, uh, I'm going to give Dave Tippett a little bit of credit here, pre-good things, for uh, putting together the uh, high-powered line of uh, dry saddled McDavid and Yamamoto for a shift when they really needed a goal. And guess what? They got a goal. And all three guys were in on it, made good plays uh, to tie it up. And then, of course, uh, we know how it went down the end. They always, you know, it's like a football team, right? They play the clock and they kick a field goal on the last play of the game so the other team doesn't have a chance to come back. <laughs> so that's what they did. Just strategic power play there down the stretch and then get down to the last second and all of a sudden, bam. <laughs> That was never too, in doubt. Never too in thrilling. Doubt. Two absolutely great <laughs> passes by McDavid Bruce. Like it was oh, their captain yeah. who led them in this game. I gave him an eight, but I'm, I think when I get off the computer, I'm going to bump him up to a nine. You make you you set up you know through brilliant plays, the game winning and game tying goals, and you have three assists, and you're in uh, in on ten scoring chances, great A scoring chances. You know that's a nine. I'm going to give him a nine. I'm going to change that. All right, Bruce. This is our uh, two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Um, we will because it was a thrilling win. We will go with two good things each. What's your first good thing? Well, I'm going to go a little bit off the board, but I'm I'm going to go with an, a real encouraging sign that I saw in this game. There was more than one of them, but I'm going to pick on uh, pick out single out uh, James Neal, who was uh, to be frank terrible in his season debut in Toronto. <laughs> yes. He was way behind the play. 
His decision-making was behind the play. Uh, and tonight in the first period, I was thinking more of the same. And then all of a sudden, the guy started winning battles. And he started winning battles all over the ice, including inside his own blue line along the boards where he was particularly dogged and, and working pucks out. And, and uh, he just became very engaged in the game. And, um, you know, I don't think he scored any points. Uh, no, wait a minute, he did. He set up, uh, he made the first pass on that bolt from the blue goal uh, uh, from the doghouse line. Tourists from Cassian and, and, and Neil that uh, put the Oilers ahead 2-1. to one. That was the lead that looked like they it might stand up. It held up for a good long time. Uh, but he made a good play on that goal. And I'm, I'm just thinking... For the orders to get real serious, they're going to start needing contributions from the bottom six. And tonight, that, that group gave up a couple of goals, but at least they got one back. First one all year that was scored at even strength without either McDavid or um, uh. Drysaddle on the ice. All year, game seven. But uh, it was it was a nice play, and it was it was initiated by James Neal, and and uh, credit where due, you know that. Uh, uh, I thought he uh, he put in a good performance. Like pales in comparison to the guys we're going to talk about next. But just uh, let's start there. I don't he, want to stomp on your your good. Your oh, he got uh, he got bumped up from the fourth line to the third line as yes. the game went along, and I wouldn't be surprised if he stays there. They had a couple nice cycles um, with uh, Neil Cassian and Turris. He actually looked like a functional line for one shift. And Ennis um, really struggled, so he got pumped down. Yeah, Ennis has not been playing well this year. He's he has struggled all year long, and um, I don't. I think we'll probably see another player in the lineup next game. Probably Newgard will get another chance, which is fine. Yeah, you know, keep shaking him up, moving him around, get the other guys in there. Although maybe they don't want to change a winning hand. But Chase on mm-hmm. Ennis has played poorly enough that I think either Chase on or, or Newgard uh, will mm-hmm. be in there. My good thing, well, let's start, let's just start out with the obvious thing. Well, it's not actually the obvious thing, because Connor McDavid, I think, was the orders probably, the, the, he was their best player. But their second best player, easily, was Yesapulia Yarvi Bruce. He had his finest game, I think, as an Edmonton order. He scored more in other games, but um, he made a key assist on the, um, uh, is it the first Oilers goal? And mm-hmm. he... Um, Screen the goalie on the last Oilers goal. He made major contributions to nine grade A scoring chances, and I can, I, I, I'm certain he's never made that many before. That Puliyarvi's never been that high before. Probably had a higher of about six or seven. But more than that, Bruce, there's a couple things. Um, he just looked. He looked like the Yessa Puliyarvi who always hoped he would be. He was um, hustling around the ice. Popping pucks, winning battles, going hard to the net, hustling, and but confident with the puck. What a difference a center makes, yeah. and what a difference a promotion makes. I mean, he he. I was starting to think he's skating all hunched over all the time, and I'm thinking kind of unkindly. Well, it's because he was carrying Kyle Torres on his back, and before that, Milan Lucic. Now that is a rude comment, but there's some truth to it. He 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 has been placed with these veteran players in first with Lucic and now with Torres. Who were, were holding him back? I'm sorry, to, sad to say, he finally gets this another chance with McDavid. Something that, you know, I wasn't pushing for this to happen because, but I did note in the summer, like many people did, 
that the if you look for a winger who in the past had had great success with McDavid, like it was like a 95% goals for percentage or something like that. It was Yesa Puliyarvi, strangely enough. You know, the guy who was never mentioned for getting a chance in that role. He gets that chance. He aces it. He he just he just had the the game that we all hoped he had. And my final comment on this, Bruce, is um, how sour would that have been if Yesa Puliyarvi had had that game if we had got a second or a third round draft pick for him and he had had that game for the right. New Jersey Devils or, or the, the Winnipeg Jets or the Winnipeg right. Jets or the Anaheim Ducks or some mm-hmm. some opposing team if that's now this is one game this is one game mm-hmm. but this is also and we this is also a player that you and I saw play in Finland and I was starting to wonder where that guy was honestly um you know cuz he had had he had been inconsistent but he mm-hmm. had had 60s to 70 percent of his games in Finland were kind of games like that, where he was a really great player on the ice, and we had yet to see that. We had seen it maybe in one and a half, one, two out of the six games uh, early in the year, kinda, but we'd never seen that player in game two. That's right, playing on the third line, and he yeah. had, and he was racing all over everywhere, and he had a good game, but he didn't contribute on the score sheet because he well he was in the bottom six. But he looked like a man who'd been set out of jail tonight, and he didn't want to go back because he was just flying around there. Uh, he again led the Oilers in this game with six shots on net, uh, and this is in 17 and a half minutes, which is pretty good playing time, but several minutes below the top guys, and a little bit of power play time. Actually, uh, uh, two minutes and 50 seconds on the power play, so we've got a pretty decent look there. Uh but he was flying and, and uh, he was winning pucks. Uh, he had uh, he almost won the game, you know, with 30 seconds to play yeah. on the power play when he broke through everybody and he tried to chip a puck through and Brassois basically held it out right along the goal line, it looked like. And it looked like he'd almost had it won there. And then uh, uh, he was uh, out there at the, at the very end of the game when, uh, when they did win it. And he also had a couple of hits this game, including a pretty memorable one where he, he took uh, NHL veteran big defenseman Derek Forbort and he bent him right over the boards at the Winnipeg bench with a with a heavy hit, almost knocked him into the bench, and a block shot. And you know he was uh, he was a factor in getting the puck moving in the right direction. He wasn't just involved in the offensive part of the game, but he was a he was a, a key contributor throughout. Uh, in this game, and and very very encouraging to see. After uh, I mean, Connor McDavid must be loving it after uh, getting basically zero production from uh, the right side of his line all year. He to, keeps uh, playing like that, Puliyarvi, and McDavid's going to start passing to him, Bruce. <laughs> he's he passed it to him <laughs> a couple of times tonight. He put one well, right on his tape on a two-on-one that Jesse Ellie put away. <laughs> he did, and he and. More, most, more importantly, Yesapulia Yarvi set up Connor McDavid. Yes, uh, swooped in behind the net in the second period, won the puck, and set it to McDavid for two, you know, glistening grade A chances that uh, McDavid didn't score. But that's what he has to do to earn the respect of Connor McDavid is 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 uh, reciprocate, make some great plays himself, and he did that this game. Bruce, what is your uh, second good thing? I'm going to piggyback on Yesapoliarvi with his two line mates, uh, Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, and uh, I just exclaim 
about what an excellent game they had as a line. Uh, I mentioned yesterday I led the team with six shots on goal. Well, second on the team tied were McDavid and RNH with five shots each. 16 shots for the line uh, in a game where the orders as a team had 38. So a huge percentage of the, uh, of the uh, uh, chances and shots were generated by that line. And they just dominated play. Uh, let me see now. With Pogliarvi on the ice, the shot attempts were 23 for the Oilers, 12 for the Jets. And that's that's uh, pretty standard. The other guys had slightly higher numbers on both sides because they had a little bit more ice time. But uh, they were all around plus 10 or more on the uh, shot attempts and plus 6 or so on the shot clock. And when they were out there, the puck was generally in, in Winnipeg's end or heading there in a quick hurry. So that was nice to see a first line that looked like a, you know, a full line of first-rate players. And uh, we've not seen the first line really click to this point in the year. And, and uh, that was what prompted Dave Tippett to change up uh, midway through the last game in Toronto. And he, to his credit, he went back to uh, yes, pull the RV to... Uh, from the start of this game, and to Pugliarvi's credit, he uh, seized the day and uh, made the most of his first opportunity. Now, of course, the question is, can he come out and put those kind of performances out there on a you know semi-regular basis? You know, be solid. But the thing with him is that when he's when he's not up, sometimes he's he's down. You want him to be sort of either you know real good or on his on his so-so nights, you know, just just be okay as opposed to having things go wrong. So uh, it's the first, it's a big test that he's passed tonight, an important one, playing on the first line, a big game, and, you know, delivering key plays right to the buzzer. Uh, yeah. He he was, uh, they had eight of 16 of the grade A shots for the Oilers, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Grade A's growing chance shots, according to our mm-hmm. count. And I wonder if we'll see Pugliarvi on the power play. Um, and I wonder if we'll see Neil on the second line. Because um, uh, Cahoon... Cahoon's been playing well, but he hasn't been producing. And I could see Neil um, getting a little bit of a boost right now to the second line. Although Cahoon doesn't strike me necessarily as much of a third-line player, although he's defensively responsible usually. I mean, that the, the third goal gets notwithstanding. Uh, where are we? Oh, my second good thing, Bruce. Mm. Darnell Nurse. Yeah. Um, I liked a lot of the defensemen tonight on the orders. I thought Adam Larson and Slater Cuckoo were really strong. I uh-huh. thought that uh, Ethan Bear was strong, but Nurse, uh-huh. in the last three games, Bruce, we've seen the Darnell Nurse that we need to see. Darnell Nurse, for the Edmonton Oilers to be a good team, a team that actually does something in the playoffs, Darnell Nurse has got to play like a, a number one defenseman in the NHL. And he doesn't have to be in the top 10 of those guys, but he does have to be that guy. He has to actually look like a number one D-man and play that way. And, um, you know, in the top 20, let's say. And I, he was definitely that class tonight. That was one of his best games as an order. He's looking supremely confident, um, defending with the puck, making really strong decisions um, all over the ice. Just he's There's a, just a maturity to his game that has been lacking in the past, a dis- level of decision-making and calm that we haven't seen before, and we're finally seeing it. And... I think we're going to keep seeing it. I don't think this is something that's going to go away, Bruce. I think this is more games than not. We're going to see this from Darnell Nurse. There's my 
famous last words on that matter. Yeah, well, I thought Darnell was a boss in this game. I really did. And I, especially in the third period, I thought he was great. Uh, give or take, I mean, that unfortunate penalty where the guy stepped on his stick and uh, down he went. And, of course, they scored on the power play. And you're thinking, man, for all the things he did right, he was sitting in the penalty box for what looked to be maybe the game winner. And it, it, I was raging a little bit because I was remembering the time Blake wrote Wheeler bloody speared Darnell trying to dig the puck out from under him in the second period. Remember when Darnell got up mad and took a swing at Wheeler? Yeah. Because he was laying on the puck and Wheeler was <laughs> yeah. pitchfork. And of course, no penalty for that. But anyway, let's not go there. The game's over. We won. Calm Bruce, down, the Bruce. refs, the refs <laughs> got it. Listen, we can't complain about the refs tonight because they got the key call I'm right. Complaining about them. They got the key call right on that goal, the disallowed goal. I mean, that was huge, yeah. and the refs got that call. Or was it yeah. the refs? Or it wasn't the refs. Yeah, they did. It was a tablet call. It was. It was a. It was a, it was a coach's challenge. Yeah, because Koskinen reached up to grab the puck, and the guy swung his stick, missed the puck, but he caught Koskinen's glove, which is why the puck bounced off Koskinen's glove and in. They got it like, absolutely right. Yeah. And but uh, to their credit, they got it right. So yes, somebody right. wrote on Twitter. This, his wife came by and asked him how the game was going. And he said, "Well, we were behind two nothing, but now we're ahead two one." <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Oh, that's fine, dear." <laughs> and, you know, and and he was right. I mean, the scoreboard did say two nothing at one point. So uh, anyway, it was uh, uh, that was that was a key moment, and. Uh, and they did make other calls. I did not like that spear by Wheeler. I thought that was dirty. So. Okay, what is your bad thing? Oh, bad thing. Oh, uh, one of my pet peeves. I got a few pet peeves that I've developed over the years. One of them is shooting the puck back into your own end with other opponents trapped there uh, to make them onside when you actually had the puck out. Another is sort of an equivalent play where you have the puck outside your own blue line, but you haven't gained center yet, and you ice the darn thing. And the referee or linesman picks it up and brings it back into your own zone and legalizes the other team. Well, that's what Zach Cassian did in the seconds leading up to the first Winnipeg goal, which came off the faceoff that followed that was unnecessary because the orders had gotten the puck out and he had full control of it, and he decided to dump it in five feet outside of center. So, of course, icing happens, <laughs> face-off, lose the face-off, lose a couple puck battles, bam, in the net. And, I mean, you can make that mistake 20 times before it'll cost you a goal, but tonight, Zach Cassian made that mistake, and it did cost him a goal. So, that's that, that's one example. I saw a few bad line changes that you might talk about, or uh, uh, just poor coverage decisions at times that... Uh, left me a little bit cold. A too many men on the ice penalty that didn't make any sense at all because I had four forwards clearly on the ice, two right-wingers. Um, so there were there was still some kind of sloppiness. And I guess that I'll just choose that Cassian play as one that did a price got paid immediately for the, for the uh, careless mistake. And uh, that's the kind of stuff the Oilers in general need to clean up a little bit. Um, so my bad thing, I'm just going to, this is not, it might, might not be too popular, but I, I didn't, Leon Dreisaitl was obviously the hero of the game, scoring the last minute. 
Bruce, I did not like his defense this game. And he's he's going to cost the team if he continues to play this way. He's not really playing his position yet as a center. He's he's charging about here and there, not covering down the defensive slot often, laying that off to his linemates, Cahoon and Yamamoto, who sometimes get confused about what he's doing. Like he charges out to the point, like that's my job. Like what are you? And and, and he's he's just not defensively intense enough right now. And uh, it didn't cost the Oilers or him this game. Um, but it will, and he he can be a great defensive player. He he is now and then a great defensive player. I just want to see him. I think McDavid's really cranked it up on defense. I think he has taken that step, and I'm still I'm still not seeing Leon this year uh, consistently getting it done. He's making too many major mistakes on Grady scoring chances against it even strength. He made three tonight, by our count. That's that's you know. It's at least two too many to get a kind of a passing grade on your defensive play if you're a center. So as, as fantastic as he is on the attack, and we all know that, this isn't the, these aren't the 1980 orders or the 1990 Penguins where you can have players who aren't getting it done on their own end because every game, most of these games are one-goal games. And um, the orders need a, an outs, a solid two-game, outstanding, or a solid two-way game from everybody but they need outstanding two-way games from Drysettle and McDavid. It's a high bar for them, but I expect them to meet it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, this wouldn't be the night I personally would choose the on Drysettle as my bad thing, but maybe that's just me. It's, it's recency bias. The most recent thing I saw him score was score the winning goal with one second left in the third period and set up the tying goal, I might add, with a great effort. Play from the high slot when he was getting hauled down. Another great attack. When he spun around and passed it off yeah. to McDavid, who made the finishing pass to Yamamoto in front. That was a great play by both of the great stars, right? And it showed what can happen, the magic that can happen when they both get put out on the ice at the same time. And I'm not saying Leandre Sil was my bad thing. I'm saying his <laughs> defensive play was his bad thing. And I will, yeah, I will stick to that. I'm just your chain. <laughs> I will stick to that. This is an important uh, clarification, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what is your number? My number is 59-59, time of the game-winning goal in regulation, the latest such goal ever scored in the history of the Edmonton Oilers, game winner, regulation game winner with one second on the clock, beating the record previously held by Dave Hunter and Mike Krushelniski in 1980 and 85, respectively. Uh both scored at 1958 as the third period. Coincidentally, both games ended 4-3, and both games featured a late Oilers comeback in which they tied the score in the last five minutes and then scored the winner right at the dead end of the game, which is exactly, again, what happened tonight. Man, that was that back and forth in those dying minutes was breathtaking tonight, especially because it was two lead changes, an Edmonton lead to a Winnipeg lead, back to an Edmonton lead. But the first time in the history of the franchise, that uh, winning goal has been scored in the last second of the game. Do you remember them tying one once? Chris Pronger 
There was a game in Arizona, and, and no. I was thinking of that, Bruce. Was that was that at the end of a period, though? That was at the end of the third period. The Oilers were down a goal. Oh. Arizona iced the puck with like four or five seconds in the third period, hardly any time. And the Oilers won the faceoff. Pronger tied it up, and then the Oilers won it. I can't remember if they won it in overtime or shootout, but they did. They came away with two points, like magic, when it looked like they'd have zero. So anyway, that was. Uh, but that was, the that was a tying goal. Well, it sure helped them make the playoffs, which they made by three points. Those two points were pretty huge. Uh, anyway, that was uh, that was the only comparable that I could come up with that happened in the absolute last second of play. That was, you know, a game changer. This one was the game winner. So another record in the Oilers record book for uh, the big diesel. My number is minus one. It's Kyle Torres's plus minus. But he got there in kind of a strange way. He, you know, to give him credit, he finally got a goal. It was a very nice goal. Nice shot. To also give him credit, um, he they, his line had a few good shifts where they, they were cycling the puck and they looked good. But man, Bruce, three times um, by our count, pucks went right through him into the defensive slot for bang, bang chances um, or, or, or through the went cross team. And that includes the third goal and the first goals against they went, um, he just didn't cover his man at the side of the net on the first goal. Mm-hmm. He allowed the cross team pass. He was closest to the, pa- the puck, car- uh, puck carrier on the cross team pass on the third goal. Right. And then on that incredible chance in the second period where Perot got it, cruised down the middle of the slot between Ennis and Cassian and took the, the pass in the middle uh, and then put it off to Appleton who almost slammed it in. That was, that also went through tourists beside the net. And he, it's obviously uh, too early to make complete judgments of these players. And he could still obviously crank it up and become useful, but it's been a kind of a rocky start. I'm glad that he scored. Um, that was a hell of a snipe, but um, he can't have those kinds of defensive mistakes. And I know, like, you could see his reaction on, on these goals. He knows, like, he is a veteran mm-hmm. player. He knows that he screwed up. You know, I could see the disappointment in himself that he exhibited. Yeah. Well, fair enough. That's, he, he but he's got to... He should be disappointed. He should be disappointed, and he's got to crank it up. And and mm-hmm. at this point, I'm still expecting, well, like, I'm going to give, like, in terms of my expectations, yeah, he this is... He's been off the ice. All these guys have been off the ice. They're still getting it together. We've seen dramatic improvements in certain players, like especially like Nurse and Bear, within the last two or three weeks. So others are going to improve still and 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 get better. And I hope Torres is in that category, and I expect him to be. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, that was the first goal all year. I think I might have mentioned this before. Scored with uh, five yeah. on five by the bottom six, and I mean, as you say, it still wound up minus one, but. The whole point of bringing in the uh, tourists and a more offensive third line was that they might be giving up goals, but they should be getting some back. Well, finally, they got one back, and that's pretty pretty big. I mean, uh, you can say minus one, and you can also say, well, the one goal he did score was the difference in a one-goal lead in a one-goal game. You know, if he just doesn't score at all and goes minus two, then anyway, so it's nice to see him... Uh, but when something had to start going right for the guy. Holy moly. <laughs> That's true. His first few games has just been almost a nightmare. Yeah, it's maybe it was just there's a bad fit with Pulley Maybe he needs to be with more kind of physical, kind of grinding cycle players. Mm-hmm. And maybe Neil and Cassian or Neil and Chase on. 
like have you know they had that line with Kara, Chason, and and uh, Neil. It was a very good line in the playoffs. Well, maybe Torres can fit in the middle of that because I actually do think he's quite a canny player. Like he does seem to until this game, and and a little bit of it's bad luck, you know. But until this game, he had been covering the defensive slot fairly well. So, but he hadn't been creating much on the attack at all, and and still hasn't other than that goal. So, well, it's still early days with him. Let's 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 see where he's at in a month, and um, we can comment. Then, I mean, the the fortunes and the reputations of player Edmonton Oilers players shoot up and shoot down. I mean, I last game people were talking about benching Adam Larson, for instance. I thought Adam Larson played just just a really solid hockey game tonight, and um, I didn't expect he would be benched because I know I he gives the Oilers something that. Vi- other defensemen don't give them. He's just—he's got such a strong and heavy stick, and he's nasty. And um, you know, Nurse has that a little bit, but Larson even more so. So my point is that Larson, I think—I don't know what people are saying. I haven't been on Twitter, but I think he played a really strong game, and maybe maybe there's some recognition of that. And it's going to be up and down for some of these players early on. If if you're uh, one who uh... Uh, goes to the church of Corsi, you're not going to be too happy with Adam Larson's plus eight, minus 24 and shot attempts. Like the puck was in Edmonton's end when he was out there. He did make some key defensive plays and played a heavy, hard game. Uh, but the game was played far too much in Edmonton's zone. So the coach might be looking at that. But uh, for sure, it was I don't a nurse think the coach bear, is going to look at it. was a nurse bear pairing that was. Uh, uh, pushing the play uh, uh, north uh, the best. I so. don't. Dave Kippett's a um, Corsi guy. I know he is a scoring chance guy, though, Bruce. Right. And by our count, Lar- however many shots he was out there for, Larson didn't make one mistake that we saw, one major mistake on a grade-A chance against that even strength this game. And uh, so I'm, there could well be shots. I mean, if you're out there with the third and fourth lines, for instance, with Edmonton, those lines really struggled. They continue to struggle, and you're going to get out sh- consistently outshot. Drysaddle's line had weak moments, many weak moments, for reasons that I've already talked about. So um, you're going to get some shots uh, if you're the defenseman playing with with those groups of forwards and that kind of effort. So anyway, so next game, Winnipeg. Winnipeg again on Tuesday night. Continue our every second night cycle uh, right through till the 30th they, they come home and they play Toronto on the 28th and 30th and then they play right away again on the 31st and in all they play 12 games in the first 21 days it's a, it's a real packed schedule and then they finally got a, a couple days off uh, first part of February so will they win Tuesday what do you say I say Winnipeg is um Loaded for bear after the disappointment of this defeat. But for Winnipeg, it'll be the third game in four nights, and that is a tough road to hoe at any time. So we'll see. I mean, maybe the Oilers, I mean, it's it's not beyond the realms of the of possibilities. The Oilers could just take it to them. Like I think, they did I think they're going to win. Game. Yeah. Winnipeg's I, defense I doesn't look that, that strong to me. And, you know, Edmonton's top players can take advantage of that. So... Here, I mean, wishful thinking, but uh, maybe Edmonton puts up uh, four or five goals and and uh, wins slightly more comfortably than tonight, which, of course, in reality was never in doubt, but it was... 
Well, they'll have their top goalie in that, right? They'll have Hellebuck, oh, yeah. won't they? Yes, 100%. So, but it wasn't like Bressois was a slouch tonight. He played a pretty darn good game, I thought. Like, he made a lot of great saves. 38 shots, um, you know. That's a lot of, swell lot of rubber. And, yeah. That was so, a uh, game, really. It was a very exciting game. I love this game. Two good games in a row. Two good games in a row. And finally, the Oilers and the Oilers won the second one. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.